0: Welcome back to Talking Movies with Ty and Teresa. I'm Teresa. And I'm Ty. And today we're going to look into The Big Sleep. Um, First, right off the bat, I do want to put out there that if you have not watched the movie, you might want to before listening to the rest of this podcast, as there will be spoilers.
1: Yeah, it's probably going to be that way on all of these episodes. There will be blood. Yeah.
0: So why don't you give us some of the technical info for the Big Sleep
1: uh, It was released in 1946. It was directed by Howard Hawks. Uh, I believe friend. it was written by Jules Firthman, William Faulkner, and uh, I think Lee Brackett also worked on the script. Uh, and it was based on a novel by Raymond Chandler that I think was published in 1939, so about seven years earlier. This was made pretty much right after To Have and Have Not. I think it was um set to be released in nineteen forty five or that was when the initial cut was first prepared. But then they kinda of put it on the shelf to prioritize all the war related movies before the war actually ended and those were suddenly outdated. So it didn't come out for about a year or so after it was finished.
0: So um looks like there's like this connection here with Faulkner and Howard Hanks, right? Hawks. Hawks. I'm just gonna call go him Hanks because
1: Well all three of those screenwriters worked with Hawks several times,
0: um it Doesn't it seem like Hawks was making like a point of somehow to get close to some well-known authors, so he had a friendship for any Hemingway, and now we see William Faulkner part, come up again in another film with him
1: Uh, yeah I imagine, I mean if William Faulkner is willing to work with you he probably don't say no, you know what I mean? Um but uh there may have been like a social connection as well. I think yeah, Hart was pretty like a pretty gregarious guy and um he gets compared to Hemingway sometimes, so I can see them as being sort of kindred spirits.
0: Gotcha. And as far as Bacall and Bogey, um, this would be um where does this fall in their relationship? Uh,
1: it's their second movie together. And it came out after they were married. Um, it was shot shortly before they were married.
0: Okay, so while we're watching it, just in real life, they were likely engaged.
1: Um, either they were engaged or at the very least they were involved.
0: Well, I think that that's helpful, I guess, in some ways, you know, because of all the sensationalism that their personal relationship brought to... Um, the movie, just in regards of how popular it probably was. Yeah, and yeah I think, I think there there's was, an element there, obviously. Yeah, I,
1: I think there was a public fascination with them at this point, you know, as their relationship was kind of taking off.
0: Right. I do find um, this movie is kind of um, a conundrum, I suppose. I would say for me personally, just because I love. True crime and crime stories and noirs. I like sitting around and trying to, like, see all of the clues and figure out who did it. And while watching this movie, every time I somehow get lost and don't. It's almost like I have to remind myself. Wait, there was a crime committed. I'm watching a movie about true crime, because I get lost and almost don't care. But who killed? (laughs) Like who killed Gregor? And then the more the story goes on, I'm like reminding myself, oh, yeah, he was hired to, like, like. it almost seems like he, you know how Vivian is trying to figure out, Vivian is Lauren Bacall, and um, Philip Marlowe, it's Humphrey Bogart's character, and it's like Vivian is trying to figure out why her, her father hired him, what his job is, and it's almost like we are too. I mean we know what it is but it's like that's never really it, his job keeps twisting and turning to something else.
1: Uh yeah um I mean I think I I think what you're talking about is due to a couple things. First of all, for anybody listening who is not aware, the movie is famously convoluted. Uh almost impossible to follow at least on first viewing. Um and then secondly, it's a movie about, you know, murder and conspiracy and uh, Bogart's trying to, um, you know, figure out this kind of all of the sordid details and all of the a lot of shadowy work. parties involved. Um, but the movie has a pretty light tone, I feel like. Um, and I vaguely remember reading the book about 15 years ago, and I remember... Um, the main beats of the story being the same, I mean, there are alterations but the main beats are the same um, certain aspects of it are more explicit in the book but the main difference I remember as being the tone, the tone is very different in the novel, it's a lot more fatalistic uh, and kind of downbeat and the movie is not like that at all.
0: I think that's a big reason like you're saying, why it's easy to get maybe caught up in, I mean because there's this Love story in a way blooming between super serious Vivian and Marlo, who's really good at his job, but he's he's like wisecracks a little bit, you know, like he's he's just kind of the suave ish character who's easy to watch and then forget what you're what he's doing.
1: <laughs> right, um, and. So, yeah, that's why it's never really bothered me that the story is difficult to follow. Um, yeah, you know, I've probably seen this six or seven times, I would guess, and every single time I've had trouble following the story. Um, uh, I think you're generally more plot-focused than I am in general, so maybe it's more frustrating for you. Um, for me, I think it adds an interesting dynamic because... Um, Yeah, you're not really privy to uh, what Bogart's thinking. Like, there's no voiceover narration. He's not explaining to characters all the time what's going on and what he's doing and how he's piecing everything together. You're just kind of observing him and trusting that he knows what he's doing. Um, And uh, there's something kind of interesting uh, as far as You don't really know how he's putting everything together. He just is. Well, sometimes
0: he gives you that insight, though. He'll say something, and it's almost like other people forgot he was a private eye. You know, like, they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot I was dealing with a private eye. There are little
1: moments here and there where he's talking to characters, and he reveals something that he knows. But even then, it's not entirely clear. Or reveals
0: how he knows they're not telling the truth.
1: Right. Um, Or like when he was telling Joe Brody, basically accusing him of killing the chauffeur... Um, Brody says uh, basically claims his innocence and then Bogart says something like "Well, either way you're made to order for it like even if he's not right um, it appears like he could conceivably and there was
0: another part too where um, he brings Carmen to Vivian when he finds Carmen in Gregor's house um, drugged up and takes her back to the Sternwood Mansion into Vivian's care. She asks him a question, and like, he's like, "You just told me as much." Like, she reveals to him, yeah, not
1: half as much as you just did, right?
0: Like Carmen, she's like, "Did Carmen talk to you about?" I think it was Brody. I think that was. And then there's another part where he's talking to Agnes's character, and Agnes is like, "Come back tomorrow." The the assistant to Gregor, the bookkeeper, whatever. And he's like um, early in the morning. It looks like you're packing up. Like he clearly knows she's full of crap, you know. And he's he does he, he play. He's not like it's. Um, I mean, he's he's cool enough to make like these snide comments. Not snide even. Just like he, there's he's not gonna hold back. I guess on um, if you're lying to him, he's not gonna just take it and walk out. He's he is gonna point it out. Um,
1: right, or even like little throwaway things like um, Eddie Mars staging that whole thing with Vivian winning that insane amount of money at his casino and then she gets hijacked.
0: But, I think that also gives you a, like more of an insight into how well his like private eye mind works because as you're watching, you at least I, as the viewer, even at, to the part where he goes out and he's waiting in the parking lot. Um, Marlo's waiting and he sees Mars's goon and stops him. And they're and then he like saves her from getting mugged and they're riding in the car. I still thought that that was... It made sense to me that some guy would hear that she won that money and go wait in the right. parking lot. And the fact that he saw through all that as this huge show to... Basically, throw him off this trail. I was like, oh, that's impressive because yeah. I didn't notice that.
1: That's that's kind of what I mean. It, uh, how difficult it is for the audience to follow the story um, almost makes Bogart more magnetic because um, it, it's like the audience doesn't need to follow all of the different plot threads because we trust that Bogart is. You know what I mean? And it almost makes it um, more dynamic. The fact that we're not following all along. We just have to kind of trust that he's getting us to where we want to go.
0: Right. So I would say in a normal film, it would really bother me. It still was something I was keeping an effort at doing to follow. And I sure. was still finding myself tripped up. And I didn't like how it was hard for me to even keep all of these storylines kind of together. Because you're, you're starting off with the blackmail that he's hired to figure out why is Greger blackmailing Carmen or, or General Sternwood. Um, clearly Vivian thinks that he's hired to find Sean Reagan, who everybody thinks ran off with Ed Mars' wife Mona, and later you find out that Vivian's really intrigued by that because she knows that her little sister Carmen kills Sean Reagan, and that's why she's I guess Always trying to figure out what the job is because she wants to know, she really wants to know how to
1: protect her sister.
0: Which to the viewer, until the end, you don't really think that that's significant and you don't understand why Bogart keeps making mention of it like, keeps noticing that she's trying to figure out what his job is and is noticing that connection with Sean Rager until or Regan until the end. Even the fact, even the part where you figure out who killed Sean, I, I needed you to tell me that because I I missed the that although that, and I think that piece actually glues together a lot of the other things about the Vivian going out of her way and with Eddie Mars and like why why is she always showing up everywhere and it's like oh this is why ah I gotcha
1: yeah, I think everything pretty much holds up together if you actually like scrutinize the story and character motivations. It it's just so convoluted and there's so many characters and there's no voiceover narration. It's not like Bogart is walking the audience through everything that's happening. Um, you know, major plot details are just briefly mentioned in passing and you know, scenes that are uh moving at this really brisk pace. It's just nearly impossible to Keep all of the various plot strands. Yes,
0: it, and like the the chauffeur Owen, who killed Greger because he feels like I'm guessing because he felt like Greger was taking advantage of Carmen. I think you could go through a, a, a long portion of the film thinking, okay, that guy killed him, and then his car ran off the road, and he, that's how he died. Until later on, and I like got a, like you said, almost throwaway comment. It, it's, like, then brought up...
1: Yeah, that, but even then, uh, Brody still professed his innocence, and Bogart didn't even really contradict him, aside from saying, you're made to order either way. So, like, it's never even 100% confirmed that Brody killed the chauffeur. Just that he freaked him out, possibly.
0: Right. Um, leading to his death. Possibly leading to his death. And... um. Yeah, the, it's, it's fun to watch because I would say, um, first of all, the back and forth, the the beginning with Marlo coming over to the general's mansion and the interaction with Carmen kind of like gets your attention right away. I mean, she's all over the place. She's, uh. She definitely was, it was just an awkward, but almost like a car wreck. Like you can't look away or almost like m- more intrigued because of her weird behavior. Like who, who acts like that when they just meet someone? Um, she's way super flirty and, um, and also the, I kind of like how um, just little things. So Bernie is, the cop on the 4th, and him and um, Philip Marlowe obviously have a friendship. Um, you you see that the general can't indulge in his vices anymore, so he does so by watching other people. Like He enjoys a drink by watching another person drink it. Yep. Um, and then when Marlowe's trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with Sean... He's talking to Bernie about it, and Bernie's like, oh, Sean Reagan, that guy that the general hired to do his drinking for him? Mm-hmm. I thought that was hilarious. Like, I, I don't know. There's, like, little lines that are just come really fast, like you're saying. So if you're not paying attention, it's hard. Uh, well, if you're not paying attention, there's a, there's a lot of little gems that you miss.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also just, like, I feel like almost every line in the movie is just perfectly written and perfectly delivered. So, uh, yeah, at at a certain point when every line is great, it's hard for any of them to really jump out, you know?
0: Right. There's also, um, yeah, I also liked when, um, Marlo is talking about Carmen. He's like, she tried to sit in my lap when I wasn't sitting.
1: I think it was, uh, she tried to sit in my lap while I was standing. While I was
0: standing, right. Yeah, that's right. I thought that was funny. Um, and then, I think it's, um, worth noting that there's two cuts to this film.
1: Yeah, um, so we mentioned before that, um, Warner Brothers sat on the movie for a year or so while they prioritized all of their war-related films, um, and, uh, while it was sitting on the shelf, um, they decided to do some reshoots. I believe it was prompted by Bacall's agent um, wanting to kind of play up the, I guess, the sexual chemistry between her and Bogart uh, and the, I guess, the public fascination with them as a couple. Um,
0: I would say that the, when you pointed out to me which scene it was that was added, or at least one of them, yeah. That seemed like... Yeah, the, the
1: racehorse. That's, like, the famous one.
0: Yeah, that dialogue there, like, I don't even remember. You seem like you'd be a little slow in the saddle at first. Mm-hmm. Like, that whole dialogue just was dripping with yeah. sexual innuendo. Yep.
1: very racy. Yeah. At the
0: time. Um, and I think that that... Well, they also made a lot of changes. If you didn't read the book, it probably wouldn't matter. But they did make some major changes... Major changes. changes, um, from the book and that Carl, what's his name, Carl Lung,
1: my mm, I, I can't remember. I'm not even sure it's mentioned in the movie.
0: Well, his name's Carl, I think for sure. Okay. So, So, um, the guy who shoots Joe Brody while Philip Marlowe and Vivian and Agnes are in the apartment with him and runs off and then gets picked up by Philip Marlowe Um that guy was the driver for Greiger, and it did seem a little bit weird. Like, why did he care enough to yeah. move the body? In the
1: movie, the motivation for him is not really clear.
0: Yes, and the part of that is because the, there's a law that they couldn't make any explicit references to homosexuality at that time. Yeah, it
1: was the production code.
0: Yeah, and so that's really the reason that was his lover. So he's getting revenge for the death of his lover. Which makes perfect sense, but when you're watching it, you're like, what is it with these drivers? They just come around killing people.
1: And they're very intense. Like, these, yeah, like, these
0: man, like, they're...
1: Very coming. devoted to their employees. Their
0: and, employers. Yeah, employers, employees. Um, I am... I don't think... I think probably the scene um, that is most thought of or comes to... Many people's minds would probably be that racehorse scene, the one that was added in to like kick it up a notch. How- yeah,
1: it kind of recalls the you know, kind of sexy interplay and to have and have not that
0: creates yeah, I star. actually would say that the sexy interplay to have and have not was, was child's play <laughs> compared to the dialogue here. That's it, definitely. In terms
1: of how racy it is, yeah, but there's still, um, like, this is. For the most part, I feel like Lauren Bacall's character in this is not nearly as um,
0: flirtatious.
1: Yeah, not nearly as flirtatious, not nearly as But when she does, playful.
0: she's, I mean, she just goes to the quick. I mean, you know. and Yeah. yeah. Um, however, I would say that this is not that scene, but I do think that this is a, one of my favorite scenes, so I'm going to play it. And it is where we see um, a little bit, I guess, this Side of Humphrey Bogart. I don't know if you could you we saw in any other films because he is, um, kind of going undercover here to go into, the bookstore that um belongs to Greger.
1: First edition. No, 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 no. The third, the third. The one with the, uh, with your baton on page 116. I'm afraid not. Uh, how about a Chevalier order of 1840 full set of course? Not at the moment. You do sell books, hmm? What do those look like? Grapefruit? Well, from here they
0: look like books. Maybe i better see Mr. Geiger. He's not in just now. Well, that's a pity because I... is not in. I heard you. You needn't yell at me.
1: Well, I'm already late for my lecture on Argentine ceramics, so I guess I won't wait.
0: The word is ceramics, and they ain't Argentine. They're Egyptian.
1: You did sell a book once, didn't you? Well, I guess I'll run along to the public library, or I could go to that bookstore across
0: the street, couldn't I? Hmm? Do so. Thank you. Hmm. Yeah, I love the hmm at the end. It kind of reminds me a little bit from um, just mind blank, but uh, South Park that character is like okay okay. <laughs> okay um yeah I you did sell a book once didn't you I cannot yeah that was pathetic why don't you try try it take oh a stab. I can't
1: do it um yes you can um you did sell a book once didn't you <laughs>
0: <laughs> um and I also like so. So it did seem a little bit like Agnes, and that is the female voice that you're listening to in that clip um who is um I would say she's she's Gregor's assistant mm-hmm. um it did seem like she was a little bit on to him um because she picks up that like she said he had to go do um you know a, a speech on ceramics, Argentine ceramics, and she she points out that he pronounced it wrong and that they're not Argentine.
1: Yeah, I think... I, I don't think she, like, realizes he's, like, going in there undercover to, like... No,
0: I think she thinks that he... Because they sell a, porn. I think maybe she's used to people coming in with bullshit reasons just to maybe feel around and see if they could get access to...
1: Yeah, that could be. I I thought that she just um, thought he was, like, a pretentious phony.
0: Ah, uh, that, yeah, that as well. Um, I did like the exchange. So from that scene, Philip Marlowe then goes over across the street into Acme Books, and um, the clerk. I is wonder there. if the
1: Acme thing um, is tied in with Looney Tunes, because you know how. Like, right,
0: that is. Because well, they're I'm both Warner Brothers. A bit, yeah, if they. It's gotta be. If it was here. like a nod. Um, but he goes over there, and it the, it's that the clerk there is sweet on him you know and he kind of picks up on that and hangs out and drinks there with her um, I liked her I liked that that chick and I would have loved to have seen her character more I mean if she had been the love interest I would have been all over that I don't even, but that being said it makes sense that it's Bacall um, so I mean I really like that scene because I think it's hilarious seeing the character that Marlow comes up with to get dirt, I guess, or try to get some information.
1: Yeah. Um, that scene, really the character in general, this is going to seem like a weird comparison, but um, that scene in particular reminds me of Bugs Bunny, bringing back to Looney Tunes. A
0: little bit, yeah. Just the
1: playfulness and the air of confidence um, and you know, Bugs is always, you know, dressing in drag or various disguises and, um, always kind of needling whoever his foil is, um,
0: yeah, uh, the, hmm, after, you know, the sentences is just classic to me, like, it's just classic asshole, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's all he had to do to seem pretentious is add that, uh, I mean, he did... He did add big, thick glasses and tilt his hat up but and changed his voice. But really, the hmm sells it, sells that pretentious nature.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, the movie is incredibly hard to follow. The vast majority of the audience is not going to follow it all the way through. They're going to lose the plot at some point uh critics at the time commented on this everybody since then has commented on it and yet the movie was immensely popular when it was first released and continues to be extremely popular today It's one of bogart's most famous movies I... it was added Only... to the national registry extremely famous and acclaimed movie so if nobody's ever ever nobody's actually able to follow it what does everybody like so much about it
0: well i've only watched it twice. I've only seen this movie two times and both times there's just I think both times around the time where um Philip Marlowe's character is getting um is going out to that gas station to hide out where Mona um is hanging out with Vivian and I don't know what you call them the strong arms the the yeah, the muscle Of Eddie. um, Just around that time he's getting out there. I kind of snap out of the. I don't know what you call it. The the magnet that he has on my attention. Or the the movie has. Like this trance. I snap out of it. And I'm like wait. How did we get to this part in the story? Um, And. I I think that. If it wasn't for. Like now. You know. You can watch a movie in your own home and you can pause it and then work through what's going on. If it wasn't for that, then I would just be like, whatever, I'm just going to go on with the ride. I'm kidding. Yeah. And I think that's what people did because you are. It's weird. You're engaged in the movie, but you're not engaged in. You're engaged in these characters, but maybe not so much in what's going on with them. And you can get enough that. You can glean enough that at least you can follow one plot, you know. Like, at the end, you, you can gather enough that Philip Marlowe has the hots for Vivian. The Vivian's little sister is um, a wild child she and has, has a drug addiction plus sex addiction, I would say. Some sort of addiction to attention from men. And then you know you get to the bottom of it, and she's also a murderer. She doesn't come across that way. I think that's, I think that's why that part's easy to miss too. She there's nothing about her, and also you're coming in when one of the people that's been murdered, um, you you're never introduced to that character. It's really easy not to care <laughs> about that character. Um,
1: yeah, I mean like the movie kind of hinges around uh, three murders, right? The- right. Geiger, the chauffeur, and Regan, uh, none of whom you really see or get to know, um, like you briefly see Geiger. And well,
0: Brody also is killed. He's
1: killed on screen. He's
0: killed on screen and you know who did it. Right. And right it's, away. And it's
1: almost like beside the point, you know. Which
0: seems mean to say, but you know. I mean, you know, a death.
1: Tragic thing, but right, but in terms of like the narrative significance, right, and it's, the it's almost it like Who cares? It's the same
0: as Reagan and uh, Regan, I would say, except for like Regan actually holds a lot more weight because, or that's Reagan. what his, started up... yeah, of his these.
1: disappearance is what got the ball rolling, that's right. kind of what started everything,
0: and that's also yeah, but well, it didn't necessarily start the Greiger porno ring thing. But it did start Vivian's character getting into the positions that she was with, I would Momers. say, Eddie is yeah. part of the mob or something, but with Eddie's character, and um, which, because of his love for her, I think is part of his motivation to figure out what's going on there. Plus, everything smelled really fishy. All the characters did. So I think he's just intrigued. Regardless of the fact that several times before, like, lay off of this case, nobody wants to, like, the general has Bernie tell Marlo forget about the case. And then Vivian, she's, when he shows up at the, when Marlo shows up at the hotel where Vivian's going to pay off Brody and Agnes, like, the, the blackmail money for the pictures, apparently, they had of Carmen, she even tells him, like, leave. I guess she thought that was going to be the end of it. Um... Yeah, there's so much going on. You could just at least follow one plot point. I think, and I mean, at the end, you're like, okay, good. Marlo got the girl, and he knows what happened, and he solved the case. I maybe I don't know what happened, but at least he did.
1: Right. Um. Yeah. It, like there's. Um. It almost feels like a superhero movie at some point, you know, or like a power fantasy, where um you are kind of just put yourself in Bogart's shoes as he's navigating all of well, this.
0: Well, it does seem like he has, like, superpowers because of his, the way that he solves this thing. I don't think a normal person would. Right. But, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um Like, how he puts it together is... um
0: A little bit dumb enigma. luck. I mean, if Harry Jones' character hadn't showed up to tell him where Mona was...
1: Yeah, then he wouldn't have found them, at least. Would right, been, as fast yeah. as he did.
0: Um it does seem a little bit like a lot of things could have been easier if Vivian trusted him a little bit more, um, and told him, you know, why she was like basically um under Eddie's thumb.
1: Yeah, know? I I assume that, you know, Eddie made it clear that if she, you know, said anything about what was going on then that was gonna then he was gonna blow the whistle on
0: Carmen. I I wonder who would believe it, though. Like, I still think he would look a lot more... uh, Even though Eddie wasn't the one. It would seem like...
1: Yeah, that whole arrangement is still a little bit confusing because, you know, the wife is also hiding out. Presumably, at least what she said, because of her close friendship with Regan, um, there was going to be suspicions that Eddie Mars had killed Regan, Uh, and yet he appears to be blackmailing Vivian because Carmen actually did kill Regan. Right, Um, and
0: Vivian's hanging out there with her. Like, these two don't talk.
1: Right. Like, um, I feel like if Mars was concerned about himself being a suspect, then he's not really in a position to blackmail Vivian about it, you know?
0: Right. Um, It also seems a little bit odd that... um, It also seems a little bit odd that, um, oh, I just lost that train of thought. Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, uh, so there's a part where Mona's like, um, so Philip Marlowe goes out there to basically this gas station, not gas station, but like um, mechanic shop, auto shop. Um, he runs his car off the road, and he deflates a tire, and then goes up to to act like he needs assistance, and finally gets himself inside. Even though at first they didn't really want him in, um, and his cover seems to be blown. The muscle will figure out who he is. They tie him up, and they put him in a room with Mona and Vivian. And while he's tied up, he's having a conversation with Mona, basically. On her about how Eddie had had his muscle kill Harry Jones, and it, I think it's a little sweet how much Marlowe cared for Harry. I mean, because he there's like that sentimental side to him, I guess, or that caring side that comes out. Like, um, and Mona is really distraught about this revelation that her husband is a murder by proxy, murderer by proxy, or even murderer. Killer by
1: remote control I think is what, is what he
0: calls him. Yeah. How the heck does she not know that? Like like I guess maybe it's just hard to hear the truth but she like throws a glass in his face of water or something mm-hmm. and leaves and then Vivian wants to wipe it off and he's like do don't it feels good. I'm like what the heck? <laughs> like, well, but there's like these exchanges slugged. that are very entertaining so I think that's yeah it's just why you don't care as much. Once again also I think Your point about, um, first of all, Greiger is kind of a creepy guy. Whatever was going on, he was taking pictures of Carmen while she was drugged up that became blackmail photos. I mean, this guy is clearly kind of gross. And in that scene that we played, that clip, you hear somebody come in through the door and Agnes makes like a little hand signal. It seems like this customer came there to buy porn or something. Like there's a shady element to Greiger that makes him little hard to be too sad for. Um, and also you find out it sounds like the guy that killed him, Owen, the driver, just so because he loved Carmen. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of understand those motivations. It is even weirder, I guess, because that motivation, like we said, is left out for why Carl Gregor's lover kills Gregor's killer. Um at this point it just seems like he's he did it because he really liked his boss, who was kind of a scummy guy, so why would you like him? But if you're in a relationship with him, it almost it ties it all together. Yeah. So I think that that did really well on covering um all the bases about like the movie itself. Um and by the time it was released, Bacall and Bogey are married. It might, I think that's kind of a weird thing. Like, I wonder how that was just the idea that you make a film and then have to wait so long for its release, you know, like to see.
1: Yeah, it's like a modern movie, you know, like movies these days tend to spend so long in post-production and have these long like marketing build-ups and everything. Uh, but back then, they generally shot them and then released them um, a lot more quickly.
0: Yeah, I think that would, although in this case it was helpful because it gave them that time to go back and add in um, some more scenes to bolster Bacall's uh, career, I would think that, you know, and bogeys, but maybe yeah. if it's her agent calling for it, it seems like.
1: Yeah, I've actually never, so the earlier cut, the reason why it's, this is like an interesting point is because the earlier cut is actually available. You know, like that process of um, a director putting together an initial cut and then it being um, modified later is not unique, but it is pretty unique to have the original cut available. Um, I haven't seen the released cut, mostly just because I love... Or the pre-release cut, I should say. Mostly because I love the theatrical cut so much, and I get to watch it maybe once every few years. And so when I do... I want to watch that cut, the cut that I am, I've am. i always loved. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. want to burn a viewing on this pre-release cut that I'm sure I would also love, but maybe not as much. Um, but I have seen there's a feature on the DVD that kind of covered the differences. Um, generally, the theatrical cut is considered by scholars to be superior to the pre-release one. Um, the pre-re- pre-release one is supposed to be a little bit easier to understand the story, because there's apparently a scene with the DA where Bogart kind of gets the DA up to speed on the investigation and what's going on, and so uh, that also gets the audience sort of up to speed. In case you haven't followed stuff, this is where we're at in the story, that sort of thing. Oh, that's nice. Which was cut from the theatrical release. Um, But it's also slower-paced, and, yeah, the relationship with Vivian is not as pronounced, um, but... Um, yeah, I think as far as why it's so successful, despite nobody really being able to follow it, um, is, yeah, kind of like what you were saying, just, it's so entertaining moment to moment, um, it's almost kind of beside the point whether you're actually fully aware of what's going on. Um, you know, Howard Hawks had a famous line about what makes a good movie, um, and it was something like, a good movie is... Um, one that has three good scenes and no bad ones. That's what he said. You know, like three like really memorable scenes um, and then no bad scenes that detract from it. Uh, and in this movie, I feel like basically every scene is a good scene, you know? Like there's, like everything is.
0: Yeah, I mean that seems like a, it's like, oh, that seems like an easy recipe, but having a movie with no bad scenes and three memorable ones, I mean, I feel like that's kind of difficult to, I mean, it's hard to, it's really hard, I think, to make something and know, is it good? This is good until it's out there, and then at that point, it's kind of too late to to make it good. Yeah. <laughs> um, If you are a fan, I would say, or, um, of Bogey and Bacall, then I feel like the movie poster and the artwork for the cover for the DVD, Blu-ray, um, this would be one that you would want as a poster in, or to collect because I do feel like it's... Um, the focus is more so on the two of them and it's got color in it and they're looking at each other. It looks like they may be about to kiss. It's, it's probably, I would say, so far in the covers I've seen of movies they have together, I would say this one looks like the one if you were really into that love story that would... Kind of be the epitome of it.
1: Uh, yeah. Plus, I would argue it's their best movie and their most uh, culturally significant movie. Um, and it's also just um, I don't know. It, like if uh, aliens came to Earth and for some bizarre reason asked, "What is a classic Hollywood movie?" Explain to us, classic Hollywood. This is you know on the short list of movies I would submit. Just watch The Big Sleep. This is what is great about classic Hollywood, you know, just these great, larger-than-life actors delivering incredibly well-written dialogue. Uh, the whole thing is, you know, beautifully shot in this kind of unshowy, atmospheric black-and-white photography. Everything about it is just perfect and fun.
0: Yes, it's on the short list, under Casablanca. <laughs> under Casablanca. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for today. I believe next. Monday we are going to delve into our last in our series on Humphrey Bogart and we're going to look into watching Uh,
1: I believe the pick is Treasure of the Sierra Madre
0: so join us next week when we delve into the Treasure of the Sierra Madre
1: see you then